0: Hello and welcome to the pod. I'm Nathan Fink.
1: I'm Jasmine Torres-Allen, and this is New Hampshire Family Now.
0: A show about building family in the Granite State. Today in the show, Jasmine and I talk trauma-informed child care and the things we wish people told us. And later, Chief Policy Officer of Zero to Three, Miriam Calderon, joins us to discuss those first thousand days. New Hampshire Family Now is brought to you by the New Hampshire Charitable Foundation. Since 1962, the Charitable Foundation has worked hand-in-hand with generous and visionary citizens to maximize the power of giving and support, collaborate, and lead innovative initiatives. Initiatives like New Hampshire Tomorrow, which is focused on making sure children and families have access to education, health care, and career pathways to ensure every family member thrives. To learn more about New Hampshire Charitable Foundation and all their initiatives, go to Dot nhcf.org. This podcast was also brought to you by Family Support New Hampshire. Family Support New Hampshire is NH's coalition of family resource centers and family strengthening programs that exist to ensure Granite State families have access to resources so both caregivers and children can succeed because supported families are strong families. To find a family resource center near you, visit www.fsnh.org. Jasmine, it's so good to see you. Welcome back to the show. So
1: good to see you, Nathan. (laughs) So things
0: are are good with you and the family?
1: Yeah, things are good. Um, I don't know if I've told you this before, but I'm fostering to adopt my son, and... We're having a tough time with adjustment. And as any parent or caregiver who's experiencing that, um, sometimes that can be kind of a big deal. And yeah. um, unfortunately, we're having to shift daycares because now we're thinking about trauma informed care. So, something that I've been working with this caseworker on is finding childcare that has those supports in place or understand or, ha- you know, that they're, they're moving forward towards having, you know, information like that. And so, mm-hmm. I, I wish I had known th- about that when I had had my daughter You're right. Um, when I was looking for, you know, child care for her. And um, have
0: you found a different array of services or even approach to the way they kind of process care for children?
1: Um, I haven't seen it yet. And I, I haven't. And quite honestly, I haven't found a child care center yet that has right. those supports in place. And I don't know if it's just because I'm lost in the noise as right. a lot of parent that happens to a lot of parents and caregivers is that they get over overwhelmed by the amount of information out there or the amount of tools that that might be out there. And you don't exactly know how to navigate those tools.
0: So, but you knew that you needed something that wasn't happening for you. So tell me how you knew that some other approach needed to be, well,
1: you know, I took the lead of the daycare teachers that we had originally, and you know, they were smart enough to say, Hey, we're not exactly the best support for your child. And Mm. at first I was angry because I was like, you know, here's my, it's been in the first three years of his life. He's had so much change and such a, you know, lots to add to his background. And I, all I wanted was stability. And so right. my first reaction was anger, right? Because I was like, well, how could you give up on him so quickly? You know, because I, I, a person, right. I don't want to do that. Right. And so I had to switch my perspective a little bit. And, you know, and the language that they chose was perfect, which was that we're not the best people to support him in the way that he needs. I
0: mean, that's kind of a Relief. I mean, after you get over the offense of it, right? Because you know, I remember we had a kind of interesting experience in our first childcare center as well, where they were like, Look, this is not working. And we were kind of like, How dare you? A little bit. Right. Because it it almost feels like this is one of those things that I wish I knew before I had kids. That you don't have to internalize their behavior as a reflection of who you are.
1: Exactly. Because that's where my mind went first. Exactly. And so (laughs) then you
0: come in fisticuffs, right? Yeah, because you're
1: like, you're ready to defend. Them And, you know, maybe excuse their behavior. Right. And then you're like, it was one of those moments where I had to reparent myself. Right. (laughs) I know that's a tricky word. But, you know, going back to that topic of like unlearning and relearning. Right. Because I've I've watched my parents come in, you know, guns are blazing, ready to go for me Mm -hmm. and not correct me on the things that I might have needed correcting on. And so, you know, that
0: becomes your crutch. It
1: does. And so you kind of lean on that crutch, You lean on that crutch, and then you realize crutch is knocked out and you're like, wait a minute, how do I deal with this? So I had to kind of get over the anger first, which was the like that first reaction, and then take a step back, kind of repair it and think about, you know, okay, but use the words like we can't support him. in the way that he needs. And it was one of those moments where I was like, okay, we need somewhere that... That's going to be able to provide him with the emotional support and with that one on one interaction Mm -hmm. that a child might need.
0: Honestly, the second thing that I actually think about in terms of I wish (laughs) somebody told me is that you will parenting actually forces you to confront the way you were raised and then you collide with it. Yes. And this is something that I I attribute to Caleb Rainey, who had a wonderful interview in the past about anger being almost a secondary emotion, Mm -hmm. because if you follow it to the root, there's something else there right there's this some some other kind of live wire that you're looking to untangle but you come in like with your feathers up and then you realize that you're actually not listening.
1: Exactly. And and that's something I pride myself on deeply in the community, right, as being a good listener. And when it comes to your own child, though, it was, it was like a defense mechanism, because then I was like, well, this is on my parenting skills. And in reality, like you think about like that phrase of, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. Well, you know, your daycare teachers and your educators are a part of that village. And when you're when they're expressing concern. Right. It's that moment moment where we have to kind of step back and listen and understand like, Hey, there's something here and we need to work together as a team. Yeah.
0: I'm almost coming to the realization that every human being I see, I'm like, you're part of my village. You're part of my village.
1: Exactly. Yep. <laughs> I,
0: I feel like once they get the tax bill, they're going to be like, what? Yeah. You know, it bill? But it's so true because you don't, it's almost like the proximity of the people in your life, uh, you know, from daycare folks to you, you know what I mean? Like, right. So, um, so what does that leave you with now? Tell me about how that. I don't want to call it a confrontation, but that need for support arises or manifests. Do you even understand it yet?
1: See, that's the thing is that because I've never experienced this before, I am in that like, all right, how do we figure this out land? You know what I mean? And so, you know, the first thing I normally do is go to my pediatrician. That's like my number one go to. I think as a a parent, you're like, all right, I guess it's time to call the pediatrician because you don't know where to start. And my pediatrician was really great and was like, you know, looking back at his history, you have to understand that in three years, he's had so much change that transforms into trauma. I didn't view it as trauma. I viewed it as change. I didn't view it as trauma. And so that changed my perspective a little bit. Right. And then it was actually my boss that, uh, you know, I was having this conversation with her and she was really great listening to me. And she was like, you know, Jasmine, it sounds like he just needs trauma informed care. And I was yeah. like, boom, there it was. You know what I mean? Like that was the last. The language I think I needed to be able to say, OK, now when I'm looking at daycare centers, that's the language I'm going to use in terms of what I'm looking
0: for. It's so interesting in that because I'm actually it's causing me to actually look at myself and say, wait, 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 what do I need in terms of my ability to understand my own upbringing
1: and, and communicate it? Too. And,
0: but part of that, I guess, relating to your current experience is like, oh, my gosh, not only realizing that the child in your care needs something, but we may need something in order to hear more clearly what they need.
1: And even ask for the things you might need. Right. Cause like trauma informed care that I was like, oh, there's the language I need because I didn't know how to ask either. Right. I was like, what am I, what exactly am I looking for and how do I ask for it? Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes what? as a parent, you just don't have the language. No. You only have what you can explain. And even then people are like, well, there's this, this, and this, and you know, there's lots of tools. But but if you don't have the right phrase or the language, sometimes you don't exactly get what you need.
0: Yeah. Where? What is your deferred tool then? When you hit this block of non-understanding, I want to call it the Darien Gap. You know what the Darien Gap is? <laughs> no,
1: I don't. It's that
0: space between Panama and Colombia, which is, it's a forest so dense that it just is like off grid. Oh. So your own personal little Darien Gap. Yes. So when you hit that, what is your tool to essentially give you a bit of light?
1: Talking about it because I honestly I have been able to find the right words because I've been talking about my situation. And I think that what ends up happening is like sometimes when we don't know what to do, we kind of keep to ourselves about it and we don't know how to express it or communicate it and we just let it fester. And then it just kind of explodes eventually because we're so overwhelmed by not knowing how to ask for what we need. Right. I've come to learn that if I Talk about it or talk about the situation. Everybody has different inputs and opinions, but eventually someone's going to say the right thing that just clicks on the light bulb for you. And then you're like, oh, my God, I didn't even know what I, I, you know, but it took it took me having to open up about the experience because at first I was embarrassed about it. I was like, oh, my God, he's getting kicked out of daycare. This is not good. Yeah. You know, and so, you know, and I I thought of it as a reflection on me. And so I I got really sad. I got really angry. It was almost like the stages of grief. And so then I started talking about it. And then that's when people were like, hey, have you tried this? Have you tried that? That. Have you tried this? And yeah. I just uh, it was like one of those like moments where I was like, dang, I should. People really should be talking about this more, because even if you're, you know, a caregiver and you're not fostering, having those resources in place, like maybe your child has ex- experienced some sort of trauma and you didn't know that asking for trauma informed care really makes the difference.
0: When we call the pediatrician or th- you know what, we leave a message, they call us back,
1: <laughs> you know, that kind of, it's,
0: phone tag. it's it strikes me that the number one thing that they offer is comfort, that it's going to be OK. Mm-hmm. And it's normal yes. that what you're experiencing is might be unique to your family situation. Right. But that there it's all going to be OK. Right. And exactly. then once you have that, then all of a sudden you start to talk about solutions.
1: Exactly. And sometimes it's just and honestly, for me, it was talking about the situation, even feeling embarrassed or sad or mad about it, because then you had those people who were like, oh. I feel bad for you. And it's just one of those moments where you're like, oh, please let this earth swallow me. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, at the same time, you, you know, you, it's those villages, those people that you talk to, that you go to for your supports. Maybe there are other parents in your, you know, in your area that you can talk to. You're
0: going to have to knock on wood about that earth swallowing you. But,
1: uh, <laughs> I'll tell you what, I wish
0: somebody gave me a heads up that I would worry about climate change the way I do now.
1: I mean, if you look outside, yeah. you can see the haze from, wildfires you can people are talking about having sore throats while they're just hanging out outside it's I mean, it's literally in our air and it's staring right at our faces.
0: If I'm not mistaken, that is I, I just saw you posting. Yeah, but this is what you're you're learning.
1: This is what I'm learning. And, you know, it's not it's not particularly something new I've been learning because I used to be a, in a former life. I used to be a chef. And so, you know, a big thing about being a chef for me was learning about the ugly food movement and how we utilize food that farmers are sometimes throwing away or incorporating back into the soil. But they're perfectly good food and just. not accepted by you know supermarkets because it doesn't look good and so going back to a lot of our nhpbs resources that you can find on nhpbs.org um one segment that I really love is all about Enviro. And so um, it really talks about how humans impact our natural resources. And it goes really in depth. It's short videos and really cute, you know, really easy activities to get done um, if you're ever wanting to have a conversation around it. But, you know, I think it's important to start having even deeper conversations about what sustainability sustainability looks like for our state. And so, um, you know, just kind of referring back to the New Hampshire Business Review article that just came out about um, how food pantries are struggling to provide fresh foods right now. And that is something we should really be scared about because as food prices are rising, we need to start figuring out how we're going to sustain as a state agriculturally and, you know, in terms of food insecurity, how are we going to feed our people? Tell me that there's a silver lining. Oh, there's always a silver lining, right? Don't make me call a pediatrician. (laughs) (laughs) For real, though. Um, there's projects like the Gleaning Project, right, that goes around the state, goes to farmers, actively purchases mm. these produces from the from the farmers that, you know, don't necessarily look good. But then they bring them to organizations like the Boys and Girls Club or New Hampshire Charitable Foundation or, you know, wherever these food pantries are. And they're bringing in the, this fresh produce to be able to feed their communities. As a
0: as a uh, family policy, we only buy carrots that look like tiny pairs of pants. <laughs>
1: With the really long stem.
0: Long (laughs) stem like a ponytail. (laughs) And when we come back, Miriam from Zero to Three joins us. Don't go anywhere. Today's episode was brought to you by Upreach Therapeutic Equestrian Center. Located in Goffstown, New Hampshire, Upreach partners with the power of horse to create strong children, strong families, and strong communities. To learn more about Upreach Therapeutic Equestrian Center and its many inspirational programs, visit upreachtec.org. That's upreachtec.org. Today's show was also brought to you by Bergoo Media, a full-service media company dedicated to helping nonprofits realize impact stories for print, video, social and legacy media, and more. Both budget-conscious and grand-friendly, Bergo Media helps your organization celebrate the humans in human services. Learn more at bergomedia.com. Hello and welcome back to the podcast. Today on the show, I'm incredibly excited to welcome Miriam Calderon, Chief Policy Officer at Zero to Three, a national organization that works to create lasting, transformative change for children, their families, and our future. Miriam, welcome to the pod.
2: Thank you so much, I'm so happy to be here.
0: Now, of course, Zero to Three refers to age, that period of time that's best described as infancy come say, toddlerhood, and yet your organization is working toward lasting, transformative change well into the future. Why are these first three years so critical to us as human beings?
2: Well, because here's what we know, Nathan, during this period of time, this eight period zero to three, which sometimes we refer to as like the first thousand days, right? What we know is that brains grow faster than in any other period in our lives. And that this lays the foundation for everything that is to come in our future, our future health, um, our future learning. And so what we know is happening is that our brains are forming these neural connections and pathways. Sometimes that's talked about as like the architecture of the brain is forming. And these pathways are forming really based on the kinds of experiences and mm-hmm. the relationships and the connection that we are experiencing during the infant and toddler period. And those experiences and relationships that matter the most are the ones with the most important adults in our lives, our caregivers and our families. And so what we really emphasize and what we want families and we want policymakers to know is that this is a period of enormous potential and that it is really about early connections and experiences. And when we're doing that, we're literally building babies' brains. And if we do that well, we can set the foundation for um, health and wellness and success in school uh, well into the future. What do
0: these first years tell us then about our lifelong trajectory? If we are supported physically and emotionally, what do the studies actually say?
2: Yeah, I mean, so, you know, the research is telling us, again, incredible opportunities. So Mm -hmm. when we have strong early connections and and that includes, right, the well being of the most important adults in our lives and those relationships. So when we have, for example, good health for mothers and pregnant people, that will facilitate healthy births. When we have families, right, who um, are in safe environments, who are present, can, can provide nurturing care, can bond, form positive relationships. Um, when we have good nutrition, right, these things will lead to healthy social emotional development, good physical health right? during these early periods, healthy development, cognitive development, all of these things, right, that help ensure that development is on track and on course for later learning. What we know about these neural pathways is they're literally shaped by this experience and these relationships. So if they don't develop and form, they wither away. There are not opportunities later to develop them. What we know is that the interventions to do so are costlier. And it is more difficult to do so later. That's why we're always saying it's important to capitalize on this period and get it right from the start.
0: And conversely, if we're missing those supports, what do the studies tell us then?
2: Right. Right. We do know a lot from the research too about, um, you know, the impacts of adversity. Right. And we do know as well that while this is an important period of opportunity, it is also a time of, you know, vulnerability. Um, But we also know about resilience. So we never want, you know, families to feel um, at all like, oh, I got it wrong. Or there was an experience, you know, that potentially maybe could have undermined development. Right. Or some kind of adversity. We want families to be and feel empowered by this information, but we want people to know the importance of acting to get it right from the start. But we do know from the same studies that infants and toddlers are incredibly resilient. And again, if there are these kinds of experiences, it is important to intervene early as well and make sure that there are the right kinds of supports and interventions. And we know we never want anybody to feel hopeless about this, right? right? Because babies are resilient, our brains are resilient, um, and we can, you know, we can overcome experiences with with the right supports.
0: As a father of young children myself, I have to say that, you know, when we talk zero to three years old, that was the most chaotic period of my life by far. Right. I mean, we are financially unstable, not well physically given the demands of raising children. Our mental health, of course, suffered. Our, our We weren't sleeping, you know, nutrition, all of it. And I'm pointing this out because as you say on your website, each baby's potential is unlimited. But the window of time to provide a child with the foundation for success is not. It is limited. Now, knowing my experience is less the exception and more the rule, what policy level solutions can we pursue to make sure parents and caregivers like me have what they need to support healthy development in that zero to three pocket?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So we think about this really, you know, in the context of, again, going back to what do we know in babies and toddlers need to thrive, um, good health, positive early learning experiences, and strong families. So really framing it around those three outcomes. And then within that, we center really the experience, you know, for babies to to thrive, their families and their caregivers have to be thriving as well, right? So when we think about good health, um, you know, again, we're thinking about parents need to be well, they need to be rested, Their, their mental health needs to be strong. So that stress see you next time. If, if you're not taking care of yourself, if you're stressed, if you're not um, sleeping, if you're concerned, if you have economic concerns, safety concerns in your community, right, that is not good for the development of, of your baby or your toddler. So it's that classic, you know, put your own oxygen mask first. Right. So when we're talking about, you know, how do we ensure the healthy development of babies and capitalize on this period, we're always thinking about as well, the health and well-being of the caregiver. Uh, when we think about positive, uh, you know, strong standards. Families As well, we're thinking about what are those supports for families and understanding child development, right? How to promote positive development. Where are they getting those kinds of supports in the community? Oh, we're also thinking about um, economic security, right? We're thinking about, you know, families are working, you know, are they economically secure, stable housing, you know, jobs that allow you to be able to make ends meet, right? Provide for your family, nutritious meals, transportation, all of these kinds of things are essential for Uh, families to be able to have that time, right? That time to bond, to fully be present, um, which is just so critical, right? To being able to capitalize on this, on this really important period. And the other one is positive early learning experiences. Right. And there we see the benefit is twofold. It is for families and it is for the child. So we know that high quality, affordable child care, early education experiences are, are essential to lifting families into opportunities. You know, most um, infants and toddlers now, the majority in our country have all available adults in the workforce right? but All adults need to be working to be able to um, make ends meet in their families. And so we're seeing more and more needs in the infant toddler period for child care. And so having it be affordable, having it be safe, having it be a uh, a caregiver and an important connection point for the family, somebody that is really partnering with the family to support development is essential. It's a key support to reduce that stress for families. And we know that those experiences contribute to children's learning and development. Those environments and those caregivers are contributing greatly to children's learning and development. So, you know, Those are a lot of the, a number of the policies that we are advocating for at Zero to Three. And what we really do is is look to places like, you know, the state of New Hampshire that are making wins on their own and making investments and being able to, you know, support these policies that foster greater economic security, you know, uh, policies that help families with very young children make ends meet, investing in childcare, uh, policies like paid leave that allow time for bonding, good health mental health supports, family supports, all of these are critically important. And then we believe that we need greater federal investments, too, to really be able to partner with states. Because we know the reality is that most states aren't going to be able to achieve all of these policies for all the children and families in their states without greater support from the federal government. We think it's important that we get, you know, the the federal government to invest more, that um, states do what they can and that we have that partnership so that we can really make this available for all children and families across our country.
0: I'm thrilled to say that New Hampshire is moving in the right direction, as noted in our most recent budget. But if people want to learn more about your organization, where can they go?
2: Absolutely. So I really encourage folks to check out www.0to3.org as well as our thinkbabies.org website so you can learn more about these policies um, and how you can take action to support them.
0: Miriam, thank you so much for coming on the show today and all the work you do at Zero to Three.
2: Likewise. Thanks for having me, Nathan.
0: Many thanks to the Samuel P. Hunt Foundation for sponsoring this podcast. Established in 1951, Samuel P. Hunt Foundation is a Manchester-based, independent nonprofit that provides grants primarily for the arts, children and youth services, faith-based organizations, educational institutions, healthcare and human services. This podcast was brought to you by Nixon Peabody, who delivers exceptional legal services for clients in the community by combining high performance, an entrepreneurial spirit, deep engagement and an unwavering commitment to a culture of collaboration, diversity, and humanity. Nixon Peabody works with universities, hospitals, and nonprofits of every size to maximize impact. For more information, visit nixonpeabody.com. Today's show was also brought to you by Merrimack County Savings Bank, who proudly supports the mission and efforts of New Hampshire Children's Trust. Founded in 1867, Merrimack has served people, businesses, nonprofits, and municipalities in central and southern New Hampshire for over 155 years by treating everyone with care, respect, and compassion. Visit your local offices in Bow, Concord, Kentucky, Hookset, and Nashua, or go to www.themerrimack.com.